The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year, until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. As many of you know, uh, I was raised by my grandparents, and uh, they were wonderful parents to me. My grandmother was a very pious woman, and I've, as I've said before, she was really a pietistic Methodist bordering on Puritanism. <laughs> she, she read her Bible every day, and she prayed every day. She was uh, very intense, I would say, about her faith. Well, near the end of their life, uh, they were living in Southern California. And fortunate for us, uh, we were living there also uh, as she came to the end of her life. And I remember as she was very near death, I went to see her and we had a conversation. And in the course of the conversation, she said, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to heaven. And I asked her, why do you think that? She says, because I'm not good enough. Well, it turned out that uh, there was a passage that she had read many, many times and stuck with her. And that passage goes like this. It's from Matthew. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, she took that literally. Unfortunately, uh, there are a couple of different ways of looking at that particular phrase. First of all, it was taken out of context. It comes at the end of a section where Jesus tells his disciples, you must love, you must love your enemies. So one uh, writer of the Gospels, Luke, instead of using this phrase, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect, has be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. And even in Matthew, the phrase could be better translated as complete or whole rather than perfect. So for us, when we hear perfect, of course, we're looking for perfection in our own lives. And we know that that's not possible. If I had only known what I know now and could have talked with her about that verse, 
perhaps she would have died with a more quiet spirit and perhaps could have realized that the mercy of God was there for her and that his mercy was reflected in her life. Well, the problem was that my grandmother was living with a certain amount of practical theology that was condemning her instead of offering her mercy. We all have a practical theology. It's that understanding that we have that goes around in our heads. And sometimes we're unconscious of it, but it's about our relationship with God. It's about who we are and how we understand ourselves and how we understand ourselves in relation with one another. And that practical theology can work against us because sometimes it's just flat not true. And that was the case with my grandmother's. Well, this section of Luke shows us a time when Jesus is going from village to village on his way to Jerusalem where he will be condemned and crucified. And on that way, there are many stories about what he encounters. And in this particular passage, he encounters a group of people who come to him concerned about something that was very disturbing. A number of Galileans had apparently gone to Jerusalem on pilgrimage to make sacrifice at the temple. And while they were there, the governor, uh, Pontius Pilate, ordered that they be killed. And they realized that the blood of those uh, pilgrims was mixed with the blood of their sacrifices. And Jesus asked them a funny question. They perhaps were thinking that by telling this story to Jesus, they would provoke him to anger against the Romans and maybe even to action against the Romans. But this is what Jesus says. Because those Galileans were killed in that way, do you think it proves that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, indeed. And I tell you that unless you repent from your sins, you will perish as they did. And then Jesus goes on and tells them about another incident. Remember those 18 killed when the tower at Siloam fell on them? Do you think that proves that they were greater sinners than the other citizens of Jerusalem? No, indeed. And I tell you that unless you repent from your sins, you will perish as they did. One of the things going on in this passage is that Jesus is trying to uh, bring out the uh, practical theology that these people were living by. And it was the practical theology that we have today. And certainly it was prevalent then. It was the idea that if you suffered, you must have been an evil person. You must not have been a righteous person. And therefore, God brought about all this suffering. Well, we know that there are good people who suffer. We know that some of the greatest saints of the church suffered tremendously. And of course, Jesus himself suffered. And the other side of that, of course, is to see that those who prospered must have been righteous because God bestowed all of that prosperity upon them. So Jesus is telling them, your practical theology is wrong. It doesn't work that way. It's not that simple. Innocent people do suffer. Bad things do happen to good people. Now there's another possibility, and that is that Jesus was thinking about the things that were to come upon the whole nation. It was clear, I think, from 
the way they were kind of baiting Jesus to perhaps get angry with Rome or to even take action against Rome, that the Messiah that they were looking for was not a, a suffering Messiah, but rather a militant Messiah. And that is not what Jesus was offering. But as a nation, eventually they decided that they would be a militant nation. And they took on Rome. And as a result of that, their towers did come down. All of Jerusalem came down. In the year 70, Jerusalem was utterly destroyed. So perhaps Jesus had that in mind, that the outcome of looking for a militant Messiah or looking to solve all of their problems with warfare was just not going to work. Well, Jesus follows this exchange with uh, the offering of a parable. And the parable is about an absentee landowner. Lab absentee landowners were very common at that time. And apparently this guy had, uh, for three years, come back to see if he could get some figs from that little fig tree he had in his vineyard. And for three years, there were no figs. So he decides it's time to cut that down. We're wasting soil. We're wasting space in the vineyard. But then the gardener comes, and the gardener pleads with him not to cut it down, but rather to let it go one more year. And the gardener promised that he would aerate the soil, he would fertilize the tree, and perhaps, perhaps in the next year, there would be figs. Well, this is a parable of God's mercy. It's also a reminder to us that we are to bear fruit. And we are to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Sometimes we can be pretty hard on ourselves when we think about this. But I think we bear fruit in very subtle ways. It's not about the grand things that happen in our lives. It's not about great sacrifices. But it's about the little things that we do day in and day out that might make a difference in the life of another human being. So I think that's one of the things that we see in this. I think another thing we see in it, quite frankly, is that the time to act is now. One more year, maybe. And that was certainly a part of what Jesus was saying to those people who came to him about these catastrophes. It was time to repent, he was saying to them. Time to turn your, to other ways. Time to turn away from those things that they were doing that was separating them from God because the time was short. None of us know how much time we have. That's just reality. So every moment of every day is important. And the only thing we can ever do anything about is the present. So I think that's part of that message to us. The other thing about bearing fruit, it's not just about individuals, but it's also about faith communities like ours. And I think as you read through the annual report, you'll see that there have been many ways in which we have been good fig trees. We've offered up good fruit. But when you go into the search process, you're going to have another opportunity. And I think it's probably even a more exciting one. Because then you're going to be able to look at what we've been doing and how we have been bearing fruit but also to examine those areas where we've not been bearing fruit. Opportunities where this congregation could do something that is really wonderful for the kingdom of God. And that kind of self-examination 
can be exciting and it can be a wonderful discovery about who you are. We're now in the season of Lent and we can approach it many different ways. And I think for some, we can make it a time that's pretty dour and be very hard on ourselves. But I don't think that's what Jesus would have. I think he wants us, rather, to look at ourselves honestly, but also to remember that the God that we worship is a loving and a merciful God. God knows that we are not perfect. And God tells us and invites us when we have fallen out and gone astray and separated ourselves from God. It is all God wants is for us to return, to turn back, to come to God, and God will be merciful to forgive. Amen.